Please join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. Stories of faith that connect us. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut or Colorado, the United States or Europe or anywhere in the world. Good morning, everyone. Um, I would invite all of the young people of age and spirit to come join us as we talk to you about names. Anyone want to come up? Oh, good. We have one brave soul coming up. Good, good. Oh, two brave souls. All right. I guess um, I could all sit down, but I might not be able to get up again, so I'm going to stay standing. <laughs> uh, oh, here comes another young lady. Thank you. So my name is Judy Miller, and... We're going to tell you just briefly about our names, Bailey and I are. There's nothing real exciting about Judy Miller, except that when I went to the Omaha reservation to work, the uh, tribal leader was Vernon Miller. And he came up to me and gave me a big hug and said, Oh, we love the name Miller on this reservation, because there are a lot of Millers. Um, the only other thing that I could share is that Judy is really meant for babies. So I think it's time for me to go back to my original Judith, uh, because I'm way beyond babies. And now Bailey wants to share with you. My name, well, my first name is my grandma's maiden name, and my middle name is my great-grandma's first name, and my cousin got my great-grandma's uh, middle name for her middle name. That's a real lot, big burden to carry with all those uh, elderly people that you're supporting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that, I, that's pretty much it, but I'd like you to think about what is it about your name that you could share with another person? It's just, it's like when I walked in, I was looking at all of the name tags that are stacked along the wall, and there are two other Millers in this congregation, and I don't think I've met either one of them. So during fellowship time, when we are uh, enjoying ice cream, would you please find someone to share a story about your name? Thank you. Thank you. There's something about knowing the story of somebody's name that helps us not just remember it, but get to know them a little bit differently. And I know that there are several folks in the congregation, in this community, who have changed their name, who have done things like gone from Judy to Judith, which is an easy, uh, easy transition, but some have changed their names uh, in less obvious ways. And names are an especially important question for the trans community. So let's get used to listening to people's stories about their names and how they came to be so that we can be more welcoming to the trans community and more aware when people inform us of this change. 
I know this just happened to me recently. I was so excited that I had remembered this person's name, and then she came to tell me that her name is now a different name. And I was like, oh, darn, I just got that. But, but that was all internal. Of course, externally, I am fully committed to learning this new name and, and do rehearse it. So let's, let's do that for each other uh, as a way of being more welcoming and more awake in each other's presence. And some of you have been very awake in this series on the Ten Commandments because you've come up to me and you've noted that um, the order seems different than what you learned. And that's a wonderful observation because uh, there are two different versions of the Ten Commandments. In Scripture, there are actually three. Two of them are very similar Um, Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5, but there's a third version in Scripture, Exodus 34, and if you ever take a look at that, you're like, huh, that's really different than the other ones. But the difference that you're noticing is that in the Jewish and in the Catholic tradition, the first two pieces are combined into one commandment. And then the ninth and tenth are split apart. And I'm basing that on the Protestant way of remembering the Ten Commandments. So there is a distinct difference between the Jewish and Catholic tradition of learning the Ten Commandments and the Protestant tradition. And if you want to know which one I'm doing, I can't answer that question because I messed up. And so um, it's really another hybrid. And it's not intended to be a new way of remembering them. It's just where we are. So, uh, so good on you for noticing that um, and paying attention and remembering what these were. And, and that's why we're looking at this. We're looking at the Ten Commandments to remember but also to look at them anew, to look at them in a new way, not as this, but as, oh, in our relationship with God, it's not about blame or shame or you must do this. It's about, here's how we want to live and breathe and be in relationship. Always for deeper intimacy and from a place of love, not fear. Like the first hymn that Warren shared. From a place of love, not to stroke an insecure God or to appease a God that needs to be pleased but rather because we want to be in this relationship, because God's already in the relationship. And so we come to this next commandment, this next invitation, and it's number three in one list and number four in the other, and it's the commandment about Sabbath, the invitation about Sabbath. And we first learn about Sabbath in the story of creation. The story in Genesis, the first creation story in Genesis, which is when God finished the work of creation and stopped. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, the story says. So in the midst of all the you shall nots or thou shalt nots, Exodus tells us to remember, remember the Sabbath. Or in Deuteronomy it says, keep the Sabbath. Or in the Jewish Bible that I'm using today, it says observe, as in comply 
with this commandment. So let's listen to the passage from Exodus uh, chapter 20. It says, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or daughter, or male or female slave, or your cattle, or the stranger who is within your settlements. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea, and all that is in them, and God rested on the seventh day. Therefore God blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it and made it holy. So we have to remember to stop, don't we? Stop and remember that if God can take time off, so can we. And the challenge we've been, I've been referring to Leonard Felder's book, The Ten Challenges, his reflections on the Ten Commandments. He says that the challenge is the struggle to unhook from everyday pressures and connect with something profoundly joyful. And perhaps a full day is unrealistic for people who are working multiple jobs, people who are caring for family members, people who are raising one or more children. Perhaps it's unrealistic. But is a block of time unrealistic? To set apart a block of time? To cease from an activity that's in process? Think of how nourishing it can be. For those of you who have written books, I know there are several of you in here, think of how nourishing it can be to stop writing and then to pick it up again the next day. But anything, any kind of activities like that, think of the artists among us. Just, just stop painting for a moment or a block of time and then continue or a relationship that's significant when you keep circling around to the same dead end. Take a pause. Put everything. What this does is it helps us to put things in a proper perspective. The perspective definitely changes when you stop. And you can look at your life from a different perspective. Tony Robinson wrote the Daily Devotional today, uh, the United Church of Christ Daily Devotional, and his closing prayer said, Sometimes, God, the hardest thing is not scaling a high mountain, riding a bike cross-country, or rafting a wild river, and I would add, writing a book, raising a child, or working three jobs. But the hardest thing is receiving or trusting your gracious love. And that's what Sabbath is about. Receiving and trusting God's gracious love. I wonder how much activity, yours and mine, is based on wanting to please or prove that we're something special when in God's eyes we already are something special. Someone special. Not just special, but beloved and cherished. The Hebrew letters in the word Sabbath or Shabbat are the same letters as in the Hebrew word Teshuvah, which means turning oneself toward a more holy direction. 
It's like the Greek metanoia, turning, but turning toward a more holy direction, not out of fear of God, but out of deep love and gratitude for the miracle of being alive. It's like the swimming hole or the hot springs at the end of the hike, soaking in that bath of love. When really the the element that we're soaking in is so much of what our body is made of that it is a connection beyond our understanding. And ah, one of the things I love about swimming is that I don't feel the full effect of gravity. I still have enough on me to float. And even better, I grew up in a saltwater pool, so even as just a skin and bones child, you still floated. What a beauty. What a gift to soak in that love of God. That's what Sabbath invites us to. And it's also a time, I think, when we engage in Sabbath with others, because it is a home-based ritual, It's a time to ask new or different questions like, what's the story behind your name? Or, here's how we came up with your name. It's also a time to look into the faces of the people you care about, to invite people into Sabbath time. It's not always, it's not, it's not meant to be a solitary activity, although it can be, especially if your house is very crowded and full, perhaps it needs to be. But it's a time to invite people in. And one, one woman was writing about her ritual of she is single and does not have family nearby, so she invites her co-workers, different ones each time and different friends. And coincidentally, uh, Beth and I had dinner with friends whom we played pickleball with. And we've never really done this, but one of the women, her husband, is a bartender at this place. We're like, oh, let's go see. And so we went And we sat around this table with no caps, no visors, no sunglasses. And one person kept remarking, wow, you look so different. I had to take a moment in my head and say, she means better. (laughs) But I don't know what she meant because we didn't ask, but we all had the feeling. We all had that experience of like, wow, is that what you look like without glasses and a visor and a baseball cap? Huh. It's like in the pro golf tour, when they take off their hats, it's like, oh, it's a whole different person. Sabbath is about getting that view of the person that you share space with so often but don't see. Sabbath, though, is also much more profound, even though there's profoundness in those things. But it's much more profound than resting or taking a nap or even ceasing from activity. John Dominic Crossan at the annual celebration shared with us that from his perspective, Sabbath is the crown of creation in Genesis. He said human beings are the work of a late Friday afternoon and nobody does their best work on a late Friday afternoon. (laughs) But what he said was that Sabbath is an indication that time itself is structured according to justice. Everyone gets a decent rest. Everyone. Including what was commonplace then, the slaves. And the aliens. 
He continued and said, fundamentally, Sabbath is an egalitarian institution. Divisions in human society are not built into God's creation. Even what we typically translate as male and female is really not male and female. It's earth creature one and earth creature two. The Sabbath year, which happens every seven years, the Bible says the land lays fallow. The poor and wild animals may eat. What is produced on that land is not the property of anyone during a Sabbath year. Anyone may partake. Slaves are released, and so there's a fair distribution of food and freedom, and debts can also be relieved. And then there's, perhaps your mind is already going there, to the Jubilee, which happens every 50 years. And that is a time of great redistribution with fairness as the principle. And now I don't know enough here in Colorado about how land was distributed, but I remember some of the stories from back east where there were lotteries. And for very little, if any money, you would just put your name in a lottery and as your name came out of the barrel or whatever held the names, it told you what plot of land you got. And I think of some of the beautiful and lush and wonderful farms that I visited, and I think, huh, wouldn't it be cool if every 50 years they gave a tiny piece of that farm to a group that has need? What if it built a home for people who are re-entering from prison? What if it was a home for people who have low income? What if it was like Micah Homes, a home for people who are living with disabilities? And that's one of the beautiful pieces of our story, is that the land was given. But when we think about Sabbath in that way, It really does open up possibilities with justice as the foundation. And not just justice, but the other side of that coin, which is love. You can't separate the two. You can't separate love and justice. Now, I know some of you uh, have learned over the years that the commandments are also divided in terms of Um, The first ones are about your divine relationship, and the last ones are about human relationships. And Sabbath is the bridge to the two. So it really is that piece of our practice, of Christian practice, that is really essential in honoring both. And I can tell you from experience that the practice of Sabbath is really essential in human relationships for me in terms of being able to be present and to be less reactive not non-reactive but less reactive and then when I do mess up that becomes clear in Sabbath time and I can revisit afterwards I wonder what it's like for you how you do that 
Because if we just keep going, 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 we completely lose touch with that. In Franciscan theology, love came before knowledge. I'd also like to add that love came before speech and reading and reason. We truly know only that which we love. We can't stand off at a distance and really know. Love precedes understanding is another way of saying that. It is only through the eyes of love that we can really understand. So our task is to remember. To remember the Sabbath. To keep it holy. To set time apart. For the most important of relationships, both divine and human. And we do this out of love out of love for others, out of love for self, out of love for God. God's heart is already open to us. So we must ask the question, what opens our heart? And perhaps for you, that's Sabbath time. You might be calling it something different, but take a look at it and see if maybe it is has some remnant of Sabbath in it. What I think of is the, of rear la bouche, the opening of the palate, which so much attention is, is taken to do that in French cuisine. So how much attention are we putting into opening our heart? And what does that for us? Is it, is it the grandchild? Is it the beautiful blooms in the garden? Is it the moment of quiet in the sanctuary? Is it the great hymn sung with gusto? Is it the beautiful, una, the beautiful music from the piano or the organ? Shabbat, Sabbath, in the Jewish tradition is a home-based ritual. And it's a taste of what is to come. For the Jewish tradition, it's the coming of the Messiah, a taste of the coming of the Messiah. In the Christian tradition, it's a taste of God's dream fulfilled. Because we believe the Messiah has come again and again and again and again. And traditionally, it's a very simple meal. What makes it different is, different is the prayer that precedes it, the prayer over the lighting of the candles, the prayer over the bread, the prayer over the cup. Is it starting to sound familiar? And it is, I was a part of a Jewish family for many years, and it is a most delicious roasted chicken and vegetables and challah bread, and for the vegans and vegetarians, it could be anything roasted. It just sits in the oven, doesn't require a lot of work. And the bread with a little bit of honey drizzled on top, the sweetness. It's most delicious like food on a hike or food on a long bike ride. Honestly, it could be the stalest of breads and the smelliest of cheese or the weirdest of healthy bars. But my gosh, it tastes so good because you're so hungry. 
Sabbath is something to hunger for. And the same is true at the table that we will turn to in a moment. It's the simplest of meals. It is the greatest common denominator of some kind of bread and some kind of juice, affordable by all, really. An opportunity to taste and see and to remember the goodness and love of our God. Come to this table hungry. Think of it as the palate opener or the heart opener. The first fruits of creation. A gift of God's love that can be taken in. Friends, go forth in the love of God. Go forth with hope and joy that your very life may be a way of praising God and praising the gift and miracle of life. And when you go wherever you go, may the love of God enfold you. May the peace of Christ fill you. And may the community that is the Holy Spirit encourage you this very moment and in each moment to come. And let us say together, Amen.